0: Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, Andrew Dewing will talk you through the current market, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice. He will also be interviewing a leader in the world of agriculture and finishing up with farm chat, which includes his favourite bit, where he tastes beer for free. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and his market report.
1: Welcome to the Market Report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market Report for week commencing 18th of March 2019. I think it's time to change our tune a little, don't you? I can't put a definitive finger on this. All I can say is it feels like the market has had enough of going down. I'm not saying there's a reversal on our hands, although the, the states had a dramatic price increase on uh, in the middle of the week. It hasn't really been sustained, but they had had a phenomenal drop in price and there was obviously some profit to be taken. But my analysis of the next six weeks is going to be very busy farmers. The price has come down a very long way and there's a reluctance to even think about selling. So with with these other duties that need to be attended to, it's quite easy to forget about the dynamic of grain selling. And because the price is lower, there's an an element of, well, you know, I've missed lots of it already. What the hell? I'll think about it in May. So I think that's an ingredient that comes into the process. I also think the consumer, who has probably suffered a bit this year with pricing of grain for the early half of the season or three quarters of the season, was probably higher than they wished because the price obviously suffered from the drought last year and, and and prices zoomed upwards. So the last bit they've got to buy, this April, May, June portion, they've kind of neglected and not really been about in the marketplace. My feeling is they're going to be back soon because they need to get the April sorted out. It's not very easy to buy April without buying May because May is the month that everybody is, has got some forward contracts with uh, with farmers. And then you may as well buy the June at the same time. So in other words, I think there's going to be a slug of business done or being bid for soon by the consumer in April, May, June. So the second ingredient is the consumer is going to have to come to the market sometime before the end of March to take some cover against the tail end of the season. So no farmers sellers and the consumers looking or trying or bidding. Now, that's simplistic, and I appreciate the world has, has up and down prices in the meantime, but the UK is fairly tight for grain, and as we've said in previous weeks, we may well run out. It's just that we won't, won't run out in March or April. And I just think it's a timing issue now, and I think with the recovery in, in the States and the profit-taking and with the just general kind of it's-had-enough-of-going-down syndrome... Yeah, I think we've 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 had enough of it. it. It may drift another two or three pounds to contract lows again. It's 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 kind of bounced a diddy bit, but I don't see it going much more than that in the near term. What what we need now for a proper price drop is really fantastic weather continuing all the way through to the end of April and the the prospects for the new crop just looking like it's going to get a bigger and bigger crop. If that occurs, then obviously eventually we will see much lower levels. But right now, I don't think there's a, there's much more behind it. The only proviso I'll put on that, or caveat, is Brexit, political decision, something strange coming out of the bag. Goodness knows what that could be, but even that I don't think will be enough to shock the world too much in the next five to six weeks. So there's the good news, It stopped going down, according to me. So X farm fee wheat for June 160, you can still make. And yeah, I mean, probably, arguably, fifty nine for May and fifty eight for April. X farm, new crop, I think would be about one hundred and thirty eight delivered store for harvest or one hundred and forty X farm for November. So we're back up to the magic round figure of one hundred and forty, which is which is kind of reassuring. And I think, as I say, it may drift a diddy bit from there, but probably it will be around this level or slightly higher in the next few weeks. In my opinion, moving on to barley. There will be some more life in the old crop feed barley market. It's it's had its worst moment, I think, 130x uh, traded or sub that. I think it's certainly worth at least that. I'd probably wait a day or two, or a week or two, before I decided to sell my last bit of that. You're not going to see a dramatic rally in it. There will be more barley used in the mix because it is so cheap against wheat. But I, I don't think it's going to get any worse, and, and it will improve a little bit. New crop barley... Again, without the concrete of knowing precisely what our position is as a country and how long the um, extension, assuming the EU lets us have an extension on Brexit or Article 50, I wonder if we'll remember what Article 50 is in about 30 years' time, where we'll go, what was Article 50? I can't remember. Anyway, if that gets extended and the pound goes up in price and we don't have any tariffs for a period of time, that's got to be really helpful to new crop feed barley prices. So let's just hope we get some clarity on that and the the extension carries beyond harvest, purely from a grain trading perspective, that comment is made. Anyway, at this point, I I don't think I'd be selling it. um, A tentative value is £120 a tonne, but I, I don't know really where to price it which just leaves us with all seed rape. It's eased back a diddy bit from last week. Old crop is £300 a tonne still. It's about the same, I think. And new crop is about 295 for harvest movement. There's a number of things going on. The US and China having their debate stroke scrap um, is going to have an impact on soya and have an impact on oil seeds. There's no conclusion to the trade war and Donald's Twitter has gone a bit quiet. So a good chance that before the end of the month they might find a common ground piece. Who knows? But that's still rumbling on i haven't really got a lot that i can make up for that one so let's just leave it the prices are pretty flat as i said last week i personally am fed up with old crop oilseed rape it's 300 anything above 300 is in my opinion the chance to ditch it you'll have your bonuses on top put it to bed get out your hair get the money in the bank and um yeah i think that's the decision to make and you might lose a fiver out of that but what the hell Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours.
0: Crush Foods produces a unique range of single-variety cold-pressed rapeseed oils. All their seed is grown here in Norfolk. They only press a single variety for its taste and they believe that this is what gives the oil the light, nutty flavour people like. Available in local shops across Norfolk, Suffolk, and beyond. Visit crush-foods.com for more information. And now it's time for our feature.
1: In today's feature, the tables are well and truly turned. As I'm the one being interviewed, I travel down to Essex to meet fellow podcaster Ben Eagle, who produces the Meet the Farmers podcast. You're going to hear an excerpt from that interview. To hear it in full, head over to Meet the Farmers by following the link in our show notes. We dive in as Ben asks yours truly about when I set up Doing Grain. Now, as a little caveat, I will add that I did an interview with Ben Eagle myself, which was the Doing Grain version of the interview, and uh, my entire female backup team managed to lose the recording. So on this one occasion, just for historical fact, they were wrong. (laughs) Please enjoy. How and when... Did you start during grain? Well, I've been in the industry since 1978, which makes me old. (laughs) Um, Which is great. The the best thing about my generation was I was the last young person that went into it. Lots and lots of people of my age didn't go into agriculture. The industry has been shrinking since the 60s, really, but 70s onwards. There's been all of the companies gradually been either been bought or gone broke and and the industry is incredibly small now so i went through 20 years of my life as a merchant for various merchants i moved jobs mercenarily you know get more money get a bigger car and more yeah. money in 1996 i joined a company called else and grain marketing which was a cooperative they, they had no successful marketing at all they had a cooperative store that was kind of on a, it was it was ticking over, but it wasn't. It was very small, and it wasn't ever going to make anything. It wasn't going to justify two people working in the silo. I'd had some good fortune working for uh, my previous company, where I was part of a syndicate that won the lottery, and it enabled me to pay my mortgage off at that time. well wow. Yeah, I know, but it was it was kind of That's... at the time. You know, <laughs> I've got a one liner I normally use at this point. But anyway, the point is that that, that money comes, money goes. Let's put it that way. It enabled me to work a lot closer to home. I was living very close to Ailschim and I, I met a guy at a social cricket game where, where we, we used to play every Thursday night. It was really not very grown-up cricket. You sort of stand there drinking beer on the pitch while you're supposed to be fielding, sounds standing like, next to other. Sounds to like my kind of question. Two people at cover point yeah. having a chat and yeah. then they have to argue about who's actually going to run after the ball. And uh, one of the guys, Jimmy Olston, and I was talking, and, we, and he just said, well, we need to do something at Aylsham. And I said, well, you know, I'd, I'd look at that. He said, we can't afford you. I said, I've, I've just won the lottery, you probably can. <laughs> <clears throat> and uh, it kind of worked from there. And um, so I, I was at Aylsham, I built up the, the business. It was successful. The farmers at that time in the 90s were having a tough time. It was very low cereal prices. There was enough troubles about. And... Having a grain trading business that needed to grow it, i said we 've got to expand this this is we 've making money every year it's, it's, we now need to, and of course farmers think you 're an empire builder was the mm. phrase and and well, should we take on a chief executive? I said, okay, so I do all the work, and someone earns more money and no i don 't think so um, so we ended up merging into a company called uh, Centaur, which in turn became openfield, but before it became open field i I became a little disenchanted with with the kind of national attitude that, that I felt was, was creeping into the trading with my customers. I'm very passionate about Norfolk and my customer base and what we do as a niche. We had a slightly different opinion and I decided I'd like to have a go doing it on my own. And so I stuck out. The, the local cooperative, Aylesham Grain, which was still there as a, as a separate cooperative, said, would we run their store again? Which gave me a base income of of a certain amount of money, which meant I could, you know, have so much a thousand pound a month or whatever to to pay some of the mortgage, and um, which by now I'd got again, life had restarted. At that moment, I thought, right, I'm I want to do it my way. I don't like how it's turning too corporate. I I think I can do this. One life, what the hell, both feet, and I, I had I had support from my wife who's allowed me to put my house on the line, our house on the line, uh, you know, it was, everything was up for grabs. It could have gone horribly wrong. Um, but she had faith and I had a blind sort of wing it mentality. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's worked out. And unless unless something really dramatic happens, these big firms aren't gonna be going anywhere. No, no, but, they're, going to, but, they're, they're but gonna But do you think that there is room for a greater number of more local, local trader firms um, moving forward? I think there will be bespoke individuals who will be able to find a living out of trading grain or getting between the wall and the wallpaper. I I think that potentially the the major organisations could cut people completely out of the loop. You could have seed to end product. You can only come into this mill if you buy our seed, buy our fertiliser, have our agronomy, have our haulage, and have the whole package. Here's the top end price, it looks fantastically attractive, doesn't it? And I think a whole load of farmers will go, oh yes, and off they go in that trance-like state and sign up to it. But, you know, the, the, the hideous drought from next year that makes the market go up 70 or 80 pounds a tonne, you've just missed out on that because you signed up to something that looked good way back in September, 18 months previously. Those things will, will still happen. And so you will still need liquidity in the market. You'll still need people with it who say, no, do you know what? I've got a shed, sell it to me. I'm going to put it in that shed and I think the price is going to go up. And take a chance, take a view, take an informed view. Um, yeah, there is room for someone with a brain cell who can actually go, we're giving you an alternative. And it's up to the farmers to follow that dynamic, to understand that if they just cut those guys out because there's this marvellous wallpaper, <clears throat> no not wallpaper, but, uh, you know, a complete contract, you'll end up with no alternative like sugar beet. Yeah. And, and uh, farmers yeah. moan like crazy about sugar beet yeah. because they're just dealing with the man. Yeah. And yeah, we're the independence are needed and the need will be filled, people will appear we then come back to the dynamic of who, who's in the industry who do we how do we find these people if they're all being trained by the major organisations yeah. how are they going to think differently yeah. how are they going to do it in a, in a different form my guys all came to me one, one chap had just been um, made redundant by Savills so he had a, an a, a agricultural background more in the property side of things yeah. and he was going to be interviewed by a, a competitor and or two competitors he had two interviews to be a rep because he had the right criteria. <clears throat> and he came, he said, I, I knew his dad. And I said, um, right, you know, what do you want to know? Because I, I knew the lad when he was when he was very young. And he said, uh well, tell, tell me some tips about grain trading. I had a chat with him. And, and he, he ticked all of the boxes. He was really, you know, quietly spoken, played rugby, sort of, you know, nice, really nice lad. And at the end of the interview, I thought, Do you know what? I wasn't looking for someone, but I, I said, I'll give you a job, and if you come to work for me, I will teach you everything about grain trading. If you go and work for the other firms you're going to go and see, you're going to be just a guy who's given a story on a text, and you're and they're going to, you're not going to get in depth enough to get up that tree quick enough. If you work for me, you will know everything I know. I will give it all to you as a uh, your daily bread, and you'll learn how to trade futures, and you'll be allowed to trade futures. All these other guys can't do that. You can make decisions. So i tell you, okay, I'll, I'll go and see these other people. And he did the two interviews. They offered him more money. They offered him a car. And he came back and yeah. worked for me. Yeah. When you, you employ someone, you employ someone not when you need someone. If you see a really good person walking past the door and you meet them and you think they're great and you haven't got space for them, if they're really good people, take them on. And I've done that and I've had some failures but I've got more successes. My team is made up of people that I wasn't looking for, and they're in my office and they're great um, because they they fitted a kind of uh, a mindset. And I think that's it. We need people who think and a little bit of a rebellion against corporateness yeah, I think I think that goes for certainly in farming i think uh, with what I, what I would love to see is a lot more people i'm a great believer in diversity and and people bringing skills from other other sectors um and i i, I hope that that's where we'll see a bit more diversity moving forward as well i want to talk about grain storage because you have is it 10, 10 different sites <clears throat> mm-hmm. tell me more about that okay um everybody in the industry except for the the, the biggest firm pretty well have ...not bothered to invest in storage in in East Anglia... ...and we trade malting barley... ...and we live in an area that's a surplus area... ...so we trade with a mindset of a surplus area. The other companies that we're trading against... ...other than the other small merchants... ...who've more shirt-tailed to a bigger firm... ...and just done a supply job for them... ...they don't particularly want to invest in infrastructure. We've invested in storage we've invested in um we actually got together a group of farmers to create uh yeah grain which is an achievement we tried to make a cooperative happen but you couldn't get every farmer to like corporal jones in the, in the parade you know that, that kind of you know everyone's and then his foot comes down so all the checks weren't coming in at the same time and it was just gonna it, it was too much of a committee so a small group of us put together a plan we got some investors to buy the site really quite ballsy that all of the people involved with it and then we we created a package and said come in buy storage as a collective and it's it's been successful so that that's our probably our greatest achievement and it's still growing that that site um, but storage is a cost is a total responsibility. Um, It's expensive because you have to train your staff and you have to do the job properly. If you take in malting barley and you dry it at too high a temperature, you kill all the germination. So you've paid your farmer a full malting barley price and you've just killed it and it's turned into feed. So lots of people have had bad experiences with that. You have to be totally professional in your attitude to storage. Health and safety and training of staff and, and actually taking responsibility, actually going there and saying you doing that properly, what's you know, it's really I've got an amazing set of people running my grain stores now. Um, but it has, you know, it's been a, a journey of people really understanding every minute detail of that. Um and and we as a as a business rely upon accuracy on on if we're blending stuff or if we are um drying stuff to a certain spec and keeping it and getting the temperatures down. The complexity in that is 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 immense. But I think, as we go into the future, it's going to be the thing that makes us able to survive what comes next. We are a niche market provider of malting barley. The only people who can take malting barley are molsters, frontier in our area, um, and us. And as far as it goes, our doors are open every day of the week pretty well, seven till seven or longer on harvesting days. And farmers nowadays have, have a much, much swifter process they've got contractors if they can not touch the floor with it all the better so we provide a service that goes in you come and thankfully the other guys the bigger organisations have to have bookings and have to have times and have to have and when you have bookings and times people get stuck by an accident things break down yeah. you miss your booking you can't have one till next wednesday and I think that the, the, it's it's kind of still being rural enough, still being on the floor enough, and still being open on a Saturday and all of the really grubby agricultural type things of running a store, that's made a massive difference to our future. We're going to get people, they bring their malting barley in without necessarily bringing a sample in. They trust us, which is, we were discussing before we turned the microphone on about what a collective of merchants was. Yeah, yeah. And it's a faith of merchants, which is to some people ironic, bearing in mind Dick Turpin. (laughs) The trust aspect is the biggest issue in grain trading. If you break trust, people don't come back. The same customers come back every single year, all of your working life, if you look after them properly, they trust you. So therefore, take the mentality of the biggest and most prized thing is trust, bring that malting barley in, tell them what it exactly is, you know, and or try your absolute hardest to make it into something good. If it's not, so we've invested in screens, we've invested in gravity separators, we've invested in colour sorters. We, we, you name it, we can turn a sow's ear into a silk purse. And we share it with our farmers. By that dynamic, we're gaining customer uh, input or commitment when other people are losing it. And in any harvest, we can cope with their stuff, be it 11% moisture like last year, or 27% moisture. Bring it in, boys. We will help you. We will make it happen easily and seamlessly. So it's a service aspect, trust, Mm. which means the the, the decision to invest was probably the right one. Uh, You start your podcast (coughs) um, with you
2: (laughs) sticking your neck out um, and giving your thoughts on where the grey market will be in that particular week. Um, which is a very brave thing to do. Uh, what, what, what are you generally basing that on?
1: My, my opinion. Uh, my opinion comes from somewhere deep inside this big fat <laughs> belly. And uh, I mean, the, the, you know the phrase, sing when you're winning. Uh, we in August launched the podcast and said, Sell sell new crop especially because we're heading at brec- heading into Brexit with a potentially strong currency. Yep. Or yep. a weak currency and tariffs. And here we are fifteen pounds lower in price. So I can I can dance, can't I? Let's face it. I'm I'm to the I, I have been saying consistently all the way through at this moment, at this precise moment in early February, we're winning. Um and when I change my view I will ch- change my view I mean it, I don't know what it's going to be at this precise second I think it's it's tired of going down I'm, you know you you have a feeling you have a feeling about this industry yeah. and the only way you can prove your feeling to be wrong is when it starts costing you money so as a trader you have a what they call a position so I either buy too much and don't sell it because I think it's going up or I sell more than I've bought because you can sell ahead um, and I and I wait for it to come down to then buy a tim. The and I absolutely passionately believe in this modern world of we don't take risks we don't have a position it makes all of the traders numbskulls because if you are short like this morning i think the market's creeping up a ditty bit this morning we're we're short every penny that's gone up this morning is losing us money technically there's nothing quite focuses your mind on why is that happening than when it costs you money Mm so it's that it's that horrible bit that makes you make a decision say we're wrong get out so where does it come from it comes from years of scars and experience i had one year where i lost money and i I that's probably the best year in terms of my trading expertise 1994 i really cocked up and it was good for me. Yes, I was, I you learn learned from the hard times. I was an arrogant git and I thought I was, you know, God on it. And and I and I learnt I wasn't, so you have to respect the market. You never ever brag about it like I just did on saying we're right at the moment. <laughs> and you when you when it's turned around and it's changing, you make you say, I'm I now feel this. And do you know what? Yeah, I'll be wrong loads of have Lots of people, oh you're wrong. And I've had weeks where the market's gone up thruppence and it, I was saying it's gonna go down and And one that means they're listening, that's great, yep, but two, yeah, I unfortunately, I can't be right the whole time because if I was I'd be a multi-millionaire by next multimillionaire by next Wednesday, <laughs> so I'd just go, boom, it's going to do this, make the money, and take up sheep farming. Yeah, that would be a sensible <laughs> thing to do. <laughs> Our thanks to Ben for sharing that interview with us. Now that you're all podcast aficionados, make sure you subscribe to his podcast. Meet the farmers and have a listen.
0: And now it's time for Farm Chat.
1: So we're
2: uh, back here again. It's uh, a beer tasting session. I've got um, Ben with me for a quick quick chat and a catch up. And uh, he's just knocked the top off uh, a frosty one. So what have we got, Ben?
3: Right, Ian. Today we've got Lancaster Bomber from the Marsden's Brewery
2: very british
3: very very british uh full-bodied amber ale and i think this should go down very well nice color give, give you a bit of a head there webby <laughs>
2: yeah. I spotted yours is perfectly <laughs> poured so yeah thanks <laughs> And anyway, we go on let's give it a crack what do you think you okay. go first
3: oh that's very nice yeah that's good that's light mm. uh that is nice easy drinking
2: I was watching something actually the other night, it's slightly off piece. I was talking about uh, a documentary about what makes your beer taste better. And one of the things was a beer with head, something stimulates your mind to taste a, a better beer. And also the shape of the pint glass, the other one, the curved, you know, your standard curved pint glass. 95% of the people in that survey said, Yeah, the their beer place tasted it tastes better.
3: better. So that was a very interesting program. Yeah, that's good. And also it needs to be slightly warm. Exactly,
2: yeah. I did, I did take the piss out of my missus that evening, because she loves a, an ice-cold white wine, and I did have to tell her it's disguising crap wine. Hang on
3: a minute, Webby, it took you a while to get up the stairs earlier. What's uh, What have you done to your knee?
2: I had a little episode yesterday. I learned to, or uh, well, I tried to learn to ski. I've got a stag do coming up, so I thought I'd give myself a bit of prep and uh, go out of there. We're all quite competent skiers, me being probably the slightly less coordinated uh, one, having never skied, so I thought I'd give it a go, and... Um, <laughs> And you got I, taken out by a three-year-old. Well, I very nearly poleaxed a three-year-old and I went crashing straight through the side barriers and um, my knee went in a very strange angle. Mm. I did batter off at the time, got up, you know, did the manly thing, thought, yeah, yeah I'm fine. And uh, Swore at
3: the child, walked yeah. off.
2: I'm paying for it today, certainly. That's, that's quite a good, good point, Ben, actually. I, this is conversation. So I'm going on this ski trip then. How do, mm. I, how do I look cool at the bar? What should I be ordering?
3: Well, the one thing that everyone goes for, and it doesn't matter what time of day it is, you're on the slopes, you're having a bit of Brayski, and, you know, it's a glue vine, it's a warm wine.
2: So it's a warm wine, um, like a, what, a, a like, mulled wine, yeah, a Christmas wine? like a, like a wine, mulled like wine. Okay.
3: And um, they're quite nice, they're very, very sweet.
2: And so that's the in Vogue drink then? I don't know about in Vogue,
3: it's, just, it's just the standard drink that everyone okay. has. But I'm sure when you get out there, there'll be many, many trendy drinks that mm. you can... Uh,
2: He did, I I chuckled over the weekends, had a game of rugby, we went over to uh, Shelford, it's a bit of a long trip, and all Mm. the boys were over there, and and there was the, um, England were playing, Italy I think it was, so we were sitting around and having a beer, and uh, this big lad, he's a big second row, loads of tats, um, ex-cage fighter, standing by. I was like, Danny what do you want? He's uh, like, one of those pink gins over there and tonic. Wow. And I looked at him and my jaw just dropped, I was like, is he, is he real? But no, it completely smashed any form of stereotype, really. So
3: you were expecting him to say
2: I should have flatly refused, but no, I did stand brilliantly, they put it in one of those like goldfish bowl style gin glasses oh, and brilliant. It just, did they have any yeah.
3: straws with it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're done with the straw. Yeah, that, that's yeah, there, there's a guy I used to know, and uh, he always thought the when we were sort of, you know, drinking down the pub when we were younger, he always thought the drink to impress women was um, Bailey's and ice. Oh right. Yeah. So we'd all go over. So Pints of, you know, tiger, pints of what? And he'd go, oh, Bailey's and ice. And you'd go, no, no, why do that? Why have a Bailey's and
2: ice? Peacocking, a bit different, (laughs) isn't it, I suppose?
3: So come on, then, what other trendy drinks are out there that, uh, or or peacocking drinks, as you put them?
2: And I've just rinsed someone for drinking gin tonic, but I do like a gin tonic, in the right place, the right time. yeah. Good amount of ice, loads of ice, slice of lemon.
3: How much, yeah, I was going to say, how many fruit and vegetables do you put in it? Because the other trend is to put loads in it.
2: So, yeah, yeah, my wife Izzy, she um, likes Hendrix, okay. a bit of a cucumber, uh, something a bit different, not really...
3: I like leave that one there, yeah.
2: <laughs> I like the odd single malt, I wouldn't say I'm a regular drinker, but... No, I am. See, right my wife and right
3: I love single malt, mm-hmm. uh, unadulterated, no ice, no water... Uh, and Sarah loves it with chocolate, dark chocolate and malt whiskey. She oh, says, right. "Is the nicest thing."
2: Do you, uh, should I say, dilute it? Do you whack any water in it? No, I can't. I, but I, my um, father-in-law introduced me to this, but I used to drink it straight. Yeah. And uh, he said, "No, whack a little bit of water in, just a drop, and it brought out so many different flavors in it, and it changed my perspective on the, on the single malt. So all whiskeys generally."
3: We all middle names are very nice single malt, isn't it? Yeah, McCallum. Yeah. Very some good. Scottish
2: one. blood, yeah. There's some cracking Scottish whiskies. I've got to say, they're some of, the, some of the best around, aren't they?
3: There are. Now, if you're going to talk about peacocking, there's obviously the world's ultimate coffee.
2: Yeah, yeah, there is. You did mention this earlier. Oh, I did mention
3: yeah. this. And I've actually met a few people that have drunk it, and this is the Civic Cat Coffee. Yeah. So this is coffee beans that have been through the digestive tract of a Civic Cat, Ian.
2: Mm. Well, we had a bit of an argument earlier, didn't we? Because you were saying Civic Cat, but I was thinking it was more like a monkey... Yeah, there's, and it's called Kopi Luwak, isn't it? Mm. We did look up the prices, and I think you were telling me it was thirty-five quid, is it, for one hundred and twenty grams, one
3: hundred and twenty-five grams? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: It's extortionate,
3: but apparently it's the world's best coffee. So uh, yeah. have a think
2: about that one. Some flavoursome coffee there. I can <laughs> see it's. Uh, yeah, I don't think I'll be picking the yeah. uh, the coffee granules um, or the coffee beans out of that one. But, yeah.
3: no. I'll be thinking about your wife enjoying her cucumber gin over the weekend, anyway. <laughs>
0: Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dewin Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at or follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewing Grain. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by Tin Shed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio.